Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor David Eldridge. Isaiah 35, that's what we're going to look at today. Third Sunday of Advent, you've already heard that. Advent means arrival. We look back at Jesus' first arrival with joy and thanksgiving. We look forward to Jesus' second arrival with hope and anticipation, and we're living in the middle, in between those two arrivals. The one that we can look back on with confidence and concretely say, yes, that happened 2,000 years ago. And then that gives us confidence to look forward to one that has not yet happened. It's nebulous. When? We don't know. But we know it, it's certain his coming is. And so we live in that tension of what God has already done and what he has not yet done. We're using the lectionary. That's not something some of you are familiar with. It's assigned readings by somebody. They, they assigned us the readings. And we're using the Isaiah passages. Those are all the readings for the day. If you want to read through those this week, they're all around the same theme. You heard Matt and Becca and Brady say that, you know, the theme is joy. And, and all four of those passages, five of those passages this week, uh, speak about joy specifically related to Jesus's coming. So again, we're going to look at Isaiah. It had this passage, Isaiah 35, had meaning to the first people who heard it, 100%. But the church has said that passage also has meaning uh, tied specifically to Jesus. It's, it's messianic. It, spe- it speaks to who the Messiah is and what the Messiah would do. And again, we know the Messiah is Jesus. And so that's the lens that we're going to look at it through. The Messianic lens. How does this passage help prepare or help us prepare for Christmas? So I'm going to reread what you heard Brady read earlier just to refresh our memories. And then we'll talk about a couple of things. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow and a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there, and those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. Verse 3 and 4, the heart of this chapter. So Isaiah is speaking to exiles. So the exiles, that's the Jew, it's a group of people, in this case it's Jewish people, who've been removed from their homeland, in this case Judah, and they've been resettled in a foreign country, by, and now they're under the, the, the rule of a foreign king. So you got sent to time out when you were little. Exile is that times a thousand. It's a, it's a punishment. <laughs> Deuteronomy 28, Moses is about to lead the Israelites into the promised land and they're renewing the covenant. 
And Deuteronomy 28 begins with Moses saying, here are the blessings that are going to come to you if you keep the covenant. That's about a quarter of the chapter. And then the, the, the three quarters of the chapter is here are the curses that are going to come if you break it. Take this seriously. Take this seriously. And the most severe curse is the exile. It's being taken from this land that God gave you as a promise. Being removed from that and scattered around the world. And that's, what's, that's what Isaiah is talking about. You see what's there in blue on the screen behind me from Deuteronomy 28. The, the picture, we, we live in a mobile society. Many of you have moved, relocated three, four, five times more in your life. That's not this. That's not the same thing at all. Moving for a new job and having to make new friends, having to find a new house, that is not what this is. This is a foreign nation coming to your nation, beating you in a battle, taking you forcibly to their country and saying, assimilate, worship our gods, serve our king. Again, it was the most severe consequence of breaking covenant. So these exiles that Isaiah is talking about, they're not innocent victims. They're exiles because they sinned repeatedly. And so did their parents and so did their grandparents and so did their great-grandparents. They're persistent covenant breakers, consistent rebel, rebels. That, that's, that's who they are. And, and they're in this spot and Isaiah describes them. He says, you guys have feeble hands. You're helpless emotionally and physically. You've got knees, your legs, they don't work. Your knees are knocking. You're, you're stumbling all over the place again because of weakness. Your hearts are full of fear. A, a strong word, dread, is the word that we would use. You're really anxious. Remember that from just that Deuteronomy passage. You're, you're going to wish every morning, you're going to wish it's at night and every night you're going to wish it's the morning. You're going to be miserable all the time, living in constant fear. That, that's what this exile was, and that was the experience of the people. Again, it's not just moving to a new town and having to kind of make a way. Mm -mm. And so Isaiah is saying to these guys, again, who are there because of their own sin, God's going to come and rescue you. Just that is an amazing statement. You guys have sinned literally for hundreds of years. You're reaping the consequences of generational rebellion. And God's going to come and get you out of it. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. God's going to come and save you. He's going to take vengeance on those who have held you captive. They did that as a result of God's... The, 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 it's the Assyrians for one, in one instance. And it's the Babylonians in another instance. When we talked about the two kingdoms. The northern kingdom is exiled by the um, Assyrians. The southern kingdom by the Babylonians. And, and in both those instances, you've got... Nations that God was using to discipline his people who then went too far. And God says, I'm going to judge you for that. You went farther than you should have. I'm going to take vengeance upon you. I'm going to notice what you did to my people. And then I'm going to pay you back for it. That's what Isaiah is saying. They're, they're going to get what's coming to them. I think in this case he's talking about the Babylonians. They're going to get what's coming to them. And God is going to save you. He's going to redeem you. He's going to rescue you. He's going to defeat your enemies. And he's going to restore you to relationship with him. That's the heart of the passage. You guys who are living in dread every day, you guys whose knees are knocking, whose hands are feeble, whose hearts are full of fear, 
You guys who are living separated hundreds of miles from your homeland, foreign nation, foreign gods, foreign king, God's coming to save you. And then around that core, Isaiah says, here's some things that are going to happen when God arrives on the scene. The first one is creation itself will be transformed. Deserts, wilderness will become a garden. And there's some pictures around that. Sharon and Lebanon and Carmel, those are, those are towns, those are areas that are known for being fertile and lush. Remember we said, for us, when we hear wilderness, we're thinking, oh, the great outdoors, let's go get away. And we, we said a couple of weeks ago, that's not wilderness for these guys. Wilderness is scary, it's chaotic, it's dangerous, it's where you go to die. When we go to the wilderness, we go to Kroger and get food, we get in our car and we drive. Then we walk on a path with signs, with a phone in our pocket that we can call somebody if we got a problem. Not them. Not them. That's not what wilderness is. No food supply, insecure water supply, bandits, wild animals, no park rangers, certainly no phones. You don't want to be in the wilderness. It's an area of chaos and darkness and danger. And Isaiah says when God comes, he's going to fix all that. All these places that are dead, he's going to bring to life. And then the second thing Isaiah says is he's going to do the same thing to people. Blind people are going to see and deaf people are going to hear and mute people are going to talk and lame people are going to be able to walk. He transforms creation and then he transforms people, his people. And then finally, he says he's going to make a way for you in this wilderness. Again, remember exile, you've been taken to a foreign country. God's going to make a way for you to get back. That word way, it's not a, it's not a pig trail. It's a graded major road. It's a highway. That's what he's going to make for y'all to come back. A clear path. He's going to protect you on it. There's not going to be any wild animals. It's going to run through this wilderness and it's not even going to look like wilderness anymore. Only the redeemed, those who God has rescued, will be on that way. The unclean, the defiled, they're not going to be on it. The wicked fool, remember we said fool is not to be mentally deficient. It's to be morally deficient. A fool is someone who knows the ways of God and rejects those ways. That's a fool in the Bible. Not someone who doesn't do well on the SAT. It's someone who, 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 who rejects the wisdom and the way of God. Those guys aren't going to be on the way. It's called the way of holiness because only the holy people are going to be on it. But remember, like these guys are they're sinners. The reason they're in exile is because of their rebellion. These are not innocent victims. God has redeemed them and put them on this way of holiness. At this time, there's one place on the planet where you can worship God, and that's the temple in Jerusalem. If you're in exile in a foreign country, you can't get to the temple. These guys have not been able to worship. They can't bring their sacrifices because you've got to do all that at the temple with the priests. There's a whole system laid out. If you don't have the temple, you don't have that system. You can't worship. We carry worship around in our pockets on our phone. We all worship playlists. We we assume the ubiquity of that. We can connect with God in our car, in the shower, in our bedroom, in the woods, here. When we think worship, most of us think what we just did, singing songs, and that's certainly an element. That's what I'm playing on. For the Jews, there was this one place to worship, and it was the temple. And there was more to it than singing songs. So they had not been able to do that. That's why Zion's another name for Jerusalem. It's, it's this highway back into God's presence. 
It's not just about coming home in terms of this is where I live. It's coming home to, to God. You'll be able to worship again. You'll be able to be in his presence again. He's making a way for you who are far away to draw near. And remember, the reason you're far away is because of your own sin. He's making a way for you to draw near. It's an amazing passage. This is what happens when God comes. How does that tie into Jesus? You already know. You've got it. Jesus is God coming. That, that's Christmas. The angel says to both Joseph and Mary, name this son Jesus, which means the Lord saves. Call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. In your Bible, the, the term word is capitalized, capital W. The, the theological definition of word is the pre-incarnate son of God. Pre-incarnate, before he became a man. Son of God, second person of the Trinity. So Jesus, Jesus existed before he had the name Jesus, you know that. He's eternal, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. John 1.14, the Word, the pre-incarnate Son of God, the second person of the Trinity before He became a man. He did become a man. He took on flesh. He was incarnated. He was born to Joseph and Mary and named Jesus. And He set up and He lived. He dwelt among us. That's Christmas in one verse. John 1.14, that is Christmas. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's, that's the whole thing. That's God coming to rescue us. Isaiah 35 doesn't talk about a Messiah, doesn't talk about a king. It talks about God coming. And John 1 says, he did. He did. It's a huge deal. Way bigger than Santa Claus. God came to rescue us an amazing story. Do we see these elements of Isaiah 35 in Jesus's ministry? To a degree. We don't see creation renewed. We don't see that. You read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you don't see creation renewed. There, there are times where Jesus does work miracles involving nature, but it's not the renewal of nature. He he multiplies bread and fish. He walks on water. He calms a storm. But we don't see deserts turning into gardens, literally, in the Gospels. Romans 8 actually says creation is, is still in bondage to frustration. Revelation 21.1 says it's after Jesus returns. That's in Revelation 19. 20, so 21 is after that, that there's a new heaven and a new earth. So we, we don't see that part. Remember, we're living in between the first and the second coming. That was something that the Old Testament saints, they didn't, they didn't see that. They didn't see two comings of the Messiah. They thought he's going to come once and fix everything. And we see God has separated these two things and created this space for people to be able to respond to Jesus. So at his first coming, we don't see the renewal of creation. Now, that doesn't mean we can go you know, pillaging and plundering. Genesis 1.28, creation mandate. We're stewards of, the, of creation, just like we're stewards of every good gift that God has given us, 100%. But we're not going to see creation, nature renewed until Jesus returns. What about the healings? Well, you know that. 
Matthew, Mark, and Luke especially are full of Jesus healing people who are blind and deaf and mute and crippled. John the Baptist, you remember him, the forerunner of Jesus' ministry. He's arrested before Jesus actually begins his public ministry. He's in jail. Jesus is now beginning to go public. John is not seeing a whole lot of things change. And so at a minimum, he's questioning, maybe he's doubting. And so he sends some of his disciples to Jesus. This is in Mark and in Luke 7 is where it is in Luke. I can't remember in Mark. In Luke 7, and John the Baptist sends his disciples to Jesus to say, did, did I miss it? I thought you were the Messiah. Things have not changed. Was I wrong? Or are you the Messiah? And Jesus' response is to say, go back and tell him what I'm doing. Tell him what I'm doing. Blind people are seeing. Deaf people can hear. The lame are walking. Good news is preached to the poor. Blessed are those who don't stumble or fall away on account of me. Just because I'm not doing it, this is what Chad talked about last week, just because I'm not doing things exactly the way that you thought I would, that doesn't mean I'm not the Messiah. Jesus said these, these signs, these miracles, those are evidence that I actually am. They're fulfillment of Isaiah 35. This is what happened when, when God comes. The blind see and the deaf hear and the mute talk and the lame can walk. Well, that's what happened when Jesus came. Every one of those things. He healed blind people and deaf people and mute people and crippled people. Check, 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 check. And Jesus says to John, it doesn't look exactly like you thought, but I am who you thought I was. What about a way, a way back? You know this one too, for sure. John 14, 6, one of the most well-known verses in the Bible. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except by or through me. Jesus doesn't make a way. He is the way. We're all, we're, we're all in exile. We're separated from God because of our sin. We're just like the guys in Isaiah 35. We've sinned. And so that sin separates us from God. We don't feel physically removed the way that they do. I'm certainly glad we're New Testament people and not Old Testament people. One of the advantages of the Old Testament is spiritual truth was communicated in very concrete ways. You couldn't ignore it the way we ignore it. We're separated from God. We don't feel that physically. Anybody can show up in a church if that's our modern day version of a temple. We got 400 of them in our city. Show up at one. That doesn't draw you nearer to God. We're separated because of our sin. And Jesus comes. And, and what he does on Good Friday and what he does on Easter, his death, his resurrection, that deals with our sin problem. It removes the obstacle so that we can be restored to God. Again, he doesn't make a way. He is the way. He's the one who deals with the obstacle, which is our rebellion. And that allows us then to be reconciled to God as sons and daughters, to be adopted into his family. He is, you know that, he is, he, he is the way. Isaiah 35, we see playing out partially in Jesus' ministry. We don't see creation restored. We do see people healed as evidence that God is here among us. We see him, he does defeat our, our, our prime enemy, Satan. He does that. He defeats him 
in the garden. I mean, excuse me, in the wilderness when the enemy tempts him at the beginning of his ministry and then he defeats him ultimately on the cross. And he makes a way for us to return to him. So how do we respond to that? How does that help us look back to the first Christmas and look forward to the next? How does that help us live right now, December 11th, 2022? A couple of things I want you thinking about. The response today is primarily going to be what we do in this room. A lot of times I try to give you some things to think about and, and kind of walk out during the week. Today, where our response is it's not limited to, but it's going to focus on these next few minutes. We're going to take communion. And the way we do that, just logistically, you'll come forward a row at a time, break off a piece of bread, dip it in the juice. There'll be gluten-free communion that'll stay here on the tables. There's also another station over there. And then that prepackaged communion. And what we've been saying... Communion is not just a physical ritual for us. If we take communion in, in faith, trusting, believing, then it opens us up to spiritual reality. When I think about what Isaiah said to the people in exile, his commands to them, he said, be strong if you have a fearful heart. Strengthen or, or steady your legs that are giving out. Strengthen your feeble Hands. The word be strong and strengthen is the same. It's be resolved. Steady is to, to make firm. If you live in exile, there's not much you can do about it. Again, kind of by definition, you've been beaten by somebody stronger than you. you, you no, there are no prison breaks in exile. You're, you'd be trying to run out of a, out of a country. Like that's not the way. You're stuck. You're stuck. There's not a whole lot you can do about your circumstances. And Isaiah is focusing and saying, listen, in New Testament language, I think what he would say is, you guys got, you need to have faith. You need to trust. You need to believe that God is going to come save you and you need to live according to that. Don't just think, don't just wish. I want you to believe, trust that God is going to come and rescue you and allow that to impact the way you're living here in exile. Let that shape what you're doing. Those are internal words. Strengthen and make firm, be resolved. Those are inside words. Again, I think for us, we would say, believe, trust, have faith. And communion is one of the ways that we can do that. It's not automatic. We can just come up and break off bread and dip it in juice and be thinking about something else and go sit down and that's all it'll be. It'll be wet bread and that's what you'll get. Or we can say, no, this is a... This is an outward act, an outward symbol that reminds me of the fact that Jesus did come once and that encourages me that he's going to come again. He does heal blind and lame and deaf and mute. He does deliver and rescue those who are separated by sin. The end of that passage People who are sorrowing and sighing. That's people who are grieving. Not anymore. He does bring gladness and joy. And so as we take communion, I, my encouragement to you is to, to take it in faith. And that's not magic. That's not, you don't have to feel anything. It's just saying, as I, as I do this, this act, God, what I'm asking is for you to pour your grace out into my life in the areas where I most need it. We're going to read a prayer that's from Psalm 103. 
and it will help kind of get us our minds there. Before we do that, let me give two really specific invitations. We'll have prayer teams up here. We'll pray with you about anything. But the two groups in particular we want to pray for today are people who are having problems with their eyes, ears, tongue, or legs. So if that's you, if you've got a problem with one of those four things, we want to pray for you. And we're going to pray for God to heal you. And I'll just, we'll go ahead and put it all on the table. Not all of you are going to walk out of here completely healed. You're not. This is what I think will happen. Some of you will feel some better. You'll be incrementally healed. Some of you will be completely healed. Some of you will be healed when you go to the doctor on Wednesday. That'll be the answer to the prayer. Or when you go to physical therapy for the next six weeks or whatever it is. And for some of you, there won't be any change in your condition. But you'll receive a greater measure of grace to live with that. Those are the options for us. And I don't know how those things get distributed. But it's not based on how much God loves you. Or how good you are. So don't, don't worry about that. You have a problem with your eyes, your ears, your tongue, or your legs. Let us pray. And we're just going to pray for God to heal you. And he'll answer that in whatever ways he sees best. Then over here... If you would say, my life right now, it's marked by sorrow and sighing. Those are words for grief. Then we want to pray that God would come and comfort you and that you would know joy and gladness. Your grief may, very, it may be for legitimate reasons. I'm not saying that you shouldn't be grieving, but if your life is marked, if, at least to a degree, by sorrow and sighing, we want to pray for you. Those are two of the things that Jesus does, and so we want to give him an opportunity to do that in our life today. Is that clear? Communion, prayer teams, you can go back to your seat. If you're not receiving prayer, I would encourage you from your seat to pray. Like you just heard, the people who are coming up here, they've got some things going on. And so let's pray for God to work in their bodies and in their hearts in ways that are, again, most, most helpful to them and most glorifying to him. So I'm going to say a brief prayer, and then we're going to read this Psalm 103 prayer together, and then we'll take communion. Good? All right, you guys pray with me if you would. God, we're so thankful that you came and rescued us. Sometimes we forget our own rebellion, our own sinfulness is what separated us from you. We're grateful, Jesus, for you, that you came, that you incarnated that you lived and that you died and that you rose again in order to make relationship with the Father possible. So I pray for everyone in this room that we would live in that reality. For any who are far away, and if this is you, you can just pray really simply, God, have mercy on me. I'm ready to come home. I pray as well as we take communion. I pray for kind of the mystery of this spiritual reality and nourishment that we would live in that reality. God, I pray that you would pour out your healing love and power and grace here, not because we say the magic words or any of that, but just because you're a good father and you delight to give good gifts to your children. And I pray that you would do that in this, in these moments. In Jesus' name.
So let's do this. Maybe if you guys can stand while we pray and then you can sit back down. Is that good? So let's, this is kind of a long thing. It's a couple of slides. So y'all just pray along with me. We'll start with that word, I. I praise you, Lord, with all my soul, with all my inmost being. I praise your holy name. You are compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. You do not treat me as my sins deserve or repay me according to my iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is your love for those who fear you. As far as the east is from the west, so far have you removed my transgressions from me. I praise you, Lord, my soul, and I will not forget all of your benefits. You forgive all my sins, you heal all my diseases, you redeem my life from the pit and crown me with love and compassion. You satisfy my desires with good things so that my youth is renewed like an eagle's. Give me grace to receive these benefits into my life as I take this communion. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. 